Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with my friend James Dudley of James Dudley Guided Hunts. James, how you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. How are you? Good. I got to set the scene here a little bit for the listeners. Uh, I've had you on the podcast several times, and we've had some great uh, stories and great conversations. Uh, I first met James. Uh, you had shot that big velvet giant deer, what, a uh, handful of years ago, and just an unbelievable story that went with that. I encourage the listeners, if they haven't heard that story, to go back and, and listen to that. I still get uh, people talking about that that podcast uh, and the story, but James is a Tuesday nut and spends a lot of time all, all year round running trail cameras and glassing and um, basically he's just falling in love with these deer and, and it's always great to talk to you. Uh, James, first question I have for you is, you know, last year coming off such a huge drought, um, you know, and, and conditions not being ideal uh, and then, you know, kind of getting some late rains here, here and there. But, uh, and then we go into this year where, you know, it just seems like everything has been perfect, you know. All conditions seem to be ripe and, you know, moisture seems to be as good as it can possibly be. Just curious your overall thoughts and your predictions for this upcoming season. I know we've got a June 11th uh, deadline for this draw, so I want to pick your brain on a bunch of stuff. But general overall thoughts on uh, moisture this year. Yeah, so this year is unlike anything I can remember. Um, The grass everywhere you go in central Arizona is tall, it's green, and all the tanks are full, and then we've been getting rain and snow, it seems like every day, um, a section of the state has been getting a bunch of rain, and like today, May 20th, I know that uh, up north of the rim, there's snow all over the place again, so yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, I think antler growth is going to be great this year, Um, last year, we had a lot of bucks that uh regressed uh a lot of bulls that regressed and then i just can't wait to see what they're going to turn into this year so when you talk about you know animals regressing a lot of times i think that that's a situation where their body condition just they were trying to put every bit of nutrient into their bodies and it just didn't translate into their antlers um and you you talk about elk you talk about uh you know deer uh, you run a lot of cameras. Obviously, it's way too early to tell, uh, especially on deer right now as far as growth. But um, are you doing anything different in your camera sets this year um, as far as, you know, w- with the conditions the way they are and as wet as it is with, you know, maybe every tank out there having water? Um, do you put anything out earlier? Are you running things later? Are you doing anything different or, or abnormal than what you normally do? No, nothing really uh, abnormal. I just try and get everything out early, um, and I just do that just because that's the way I like to. There's no reason. Uh, you don't need to have cameras out right now because there's nothing to really look at as far as antler growth, but... I just like to get everything set, make sure it's working, um, get 
I, I put salt on all my cameras, so I just want to make sure the elk and the deer know where, where to find the salt starting, you know, in March or April, and just keep resalting and keep checking my cameras. Just go ahead. It's more of a preparation. So you're just wanting on a good year, you're wanting to make sure all your spots are firing on all cylinders, so you're making sure that there's salt at all of the areas. Question for you, are you using... Um, you know, block salt, or are you carrying in granulated bags of salt? What, you know, what is your recipe for getting the best results? And it may change, and please let us know if it's different for elk or deer. So I've always just used the 50-pound trace mineral block salt. Um, they look like a rock. It's just a big red uh, salt block. And... I'll break those in half and pack those all around and set those up on cameras. Um, this year, uh, I had to use some of the granule salt on a couple cameras just because I couldn't get um, any of the red block salt at the feed shop that I go to. So I know that it all works the same, it seems like. Um, I have pictures of deer digging through a foot of snow trying to get down at that salt um, even though it, it's been gone you know the the salt will deteriorate they'll still be digging through the snow trying to get to the dirt so I think any salt works um, I just like the red stuff because it's not as obvious if somebody walks by they're not going to see uh, the red block as opposed to a big pile of white uh, salt. So in essence, you are running this in essence just to take inventory and just to try and basically assess what's in the area. You're not uh, doing it to hunt over or anything like that. You're basically just trying to establish year after year uh, where these animals know where these different places are so that you can run cameras and then efficiently kind of <coughs> be able to see what's there, correct? Yeah. Um, we don't really hunt over salt, per se, um, or water. We're, when we have clients where I hate to be like 100% uh, or anything, but we're 95% we're spot and stock everything we see um, or everything that we want to kill just because my clients come out from the Midwest and they've been sitting in tree stands their entire life and the last thing they want to do is sit in a ground blind or a tree stand. So I kind of tell them up front, you know, this is how we do things. If you're interested, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be a lot of hiking, a lot of glassing. Um, so for the most part, we don't hunt over salt. But sometimes... For ourselves, we do um, because it is effective if you have time and you know what's there and there's, if you're not in a spot and stock uh, terrain, then sometimes you got to hunt over salt. And I actually have a good story about doing that last year about a big coos deer if you want to hear that. You know, I'm always a sucker for a big coos deer story, so let's hear it. <laughs> All right. Um, so two years ago, or let's see, it'd be a year and a half ago now, I started a 
building this long-range rifle, and my buddy Brian Bentz and his father were helping me get it all set up and hand-loading everything for me and making sure that it was going to be a good gun because I didn't have a lot of experience building rifles. So, anyways, Brian comes back one day from bear hunting, and he's got a shed off a coos deer, and it's a good-looking shed. It's probably, uh, it's like a 100-inch, off a 100-inch deer. So we were talking about it, where it was, and uh, we were like, well, you know, you should go back out there tomorrow, put a bunch of salt down, set a camera right where you found that, and see what happens. So he did that. Fast forward um, about eight months, and he started getting this big buck on camera, a um, bunch of pictures. He was coming in, you know, twice, three times a week with a couple other bucks hitting that salt. And what so, so this, this is early. So yeah, velvet, he's, he starts getting him on camera like this time, um, last year. So exactly a year ago. And, um, we were just watching him get bigger and bigger. And I actually had trail camera pictures of this buck, uh, from three years ago. And he was two miles away from this spot. And he, uh, disappeared off my cameras and then Brian picked him up this next year. So anyways, he's watching this deer get bigger and bigger all summer and um right before, you know, August, the opener, we're looking at pictures of this deer and you know, I just told him like you got to do whatever it takes to kill this deer this year cuz looking at the pictures, he's a, you know, 120 inch deer um at least. And so he went out there every day uh, for the first seven Wait, days of the what, season. Yes. What's his configuration? What What is he, a straight three-by-three? Three? What's his What's his mainframe? So he's a real wide three-by-three three with big eye guards and um, a big palmation in between his G2 and G3. Um, just big, wide, heavy buck. And was he one of these bucks, um, you know, from the very first set of pictures that you got, you know, Brian was getting, that you guys were getting, was it like instantaneous, like, oh, this buck's going to be a bomber, or at what point yeah. was it like, oh, yeah, okay, so right away you started seeing the first pictures were eye guards and beams, he wasn't even out to his G2 yet, but he was heavy, and he was going out wide, and you could just tell he was going to be a hog, and, and, yeah. Did you yes. know? Did you know it was the shed buck? And at what point in time did you go? That's the shed buck. Okay. So, from the first set of pictures uh, that we knew it was that deer, we could tell he was going to be giant just by what was growing out of his pedicle, the the mass on it. Um, you know, he looked like he had coke cans growing out of the top of his head basically um, until he split and then once he split he just went out real wide and carried that mass all the way through and uh, we just knew it was going to be a big buck and it actually is not the shed it's not that buck did not drop that shed that he found it was from another buck that was running around with that buck okay so the shed that he found just made him 
you you said you got to go out there and set cameras, set salt, and it turned out it's not even the shed buck. It's a completely different buck. Yeah, it's a completely different buck that I had on camera uh, a prior year from about a mile and a half as the crow flies away from where his camera was. So that buck moved and disappeared, and I lost them, and then he picked them up on his camera. Okay, I, uh, you, brought up all kinds of, you brought up all kinds of things in my head for questions. Okay. Do you think that the location of his salt moved the buck, number one? Number two, do you think you had him in a pattern much like Brian had him, meaning all summer long, or did the buck just flat out, you had him over here all summer, tons of pictures, and now the year later he just moved and now he's got him? You know, what caused him to move, or did you just have random photo of him when he was traveling outside of his home corridor? Okay, so I had him on camera all summer long. He would be there every couple of days. I'd get a picture of him. He was with another buck that... Uh, another good buck that stayed at that spot but I had pictures of him until he rubbed um, I had pictures of him till about December that year and then he disappeared so I didn't know at first if maybe he got shot in that December hunt or what happened but turns out that he just moved uh, because he's rutting is my guess he just wanted to go find some does and ended up over in Brian's spot and uh, never came back to my spot. So it wasn't like cattle moved in or sheep moved nope. in or something moved in to push him. You just think he just thought the grass was greener on the other side. He went to check it out, and sure enough, it was. Yep, exactly. Okay, so go and back to the story where you were saying um, – you know, you were telling Brian, you got to kill this deer. You were watching them all summer and then lead up into kind of the progression. You know, was the deer like clockwork? Like what time of day did you get most of the photos of him coming in? And how was that similar or different from the summer before where you had him two miles away on a, on a totally different salt? So he was getting pictures of him during the day, daytime hours. Um, with a couple other deer, a couple other bucks. And, uh, yeah, so he went out there um, those first few days of the season and glassed them up a few times but could not uh, get a stock on him just because of, like, wind, his location. Um, that just didn't work out the way he wanted to. So he ended up kind of just sticking to his guns and deciding to sit that salt. He had already set a blind up on the salt probably uh, in June of last year um, just in case uh, he wasn't going to be able to spot and stalk that deer if, if he, just so he knew that he could sit that salt if he had to. And uh, he ended up sitting it for like, I don't know, like 40 hours or something like that. And then finally that big buck came in and he shot it. Um, you know, 
it he he it ran a little bit. He called me right away, and of course, I was in a whole another state, so I couldn't do anything to <laughs> help him come track it or anything. But he uh, called Trevor, our other hunting partner, and uh, they went out and recovered the deer, and turned out to be a giant, well over 120 inch velvet buck. Unreal. Um, yeah. Okay, so he actually went out when the season started and glassed the deer up, but he wasn't in a stockable position, so he didn't actually pursue or blow the deer out. He then chose to go and sit, and again, we should have had him on this podcast too to get, because it would be bo- great to get both of you guys' input, but... Um, I know. <laughs> And you said, should we have him on? And I was just thinking, ah, sometimes three, it just it just doesn't go right. But anyway, um, you were right there in the middle of all of it. So what led his decision to saying, I think he's going to come back and hit the salt? Because from what I've heard, a lot of times it's a gamble because those deer are super habitual on salt all summer long, June and July and even early August, but then as soon as it kind of that right around the time the season starts, it's like they all of a sudden get off of the salt. So talk a little bit about the strategy there. Well, in his, in, I'm speaking for him, but in his mind, he was just going to have a better chance uh, sitting the salt, just plain and simple. Um, the, the area that he was hunting uh, – this wasn't uh, conducive to spot and stock, uh, a big coos deer, especially by yourself. Um, he was trying to get it done by himself, and he just figured, hey, I know that this buck's been coming in here uh, you know, a couple times a week all summer. So, And, I, and he knew that the buck was in the air because he was able to glass it up a few times. Um, so he knew that eventually that buck's going to come in. It's just hopefully he comes in the right direction. Hopefully he doesn't wind. Um, there's a lot that goes into it. Hopefully he comes in to where you have a shooting lane, all that stuff. And he was able to shoot him at, like I think it was like 25 yards. Um, so it was a good yeah, shot. Yeah, hold it all together and, and make right. a good shot and get the buck killed. That's a whole other thing. Okay. Right. Um, from the area, well, I'm always curious how far, in other words, a lot of guys use mineral, use salt to try and get photos of deer. And one of the questions that I'm always curious about is how do you know when you're in that deer's core area? Are you on the peripheral of the area? Are you right in the center of the area? And in your opinion, can you judge by photos oh, he comes in every day, so I must be in his core area, or he comes in every three days, or no, I could be right in the middle of his core area and he only comes in every five days. Talk a little bit about, I know you've spent many a day pulling your hair out trying to figure out how to get into the core area because all you're trying to do is get as many photos of those bucks as you can, correct? You're trying to document those bucks, document their pattern and movement. So talk a little bit about that. So most of the cameras that we put out, um, for at least for coos deer, we 
we like to put them out in areas that are glassable um, for the reasons I just went over with what happened with Brian. Um, so I'll put it, put my salt and camera close to a water tank most of the time on a trail that is glassable or if I've glassed up deer in this spot before, I'll go down there and find their trail, put a camera and salt on their trail, and they'll find the salt. They always do. Um, they'll find it quick, too. So once you, I don't know, if you glass up a big buck, you can always sneak in there, set your salt out, put your camera up, and the chances are he's going to be on your camera pretty quick. Um, does that answer your question? Okay, so... Yeah, so what you're saying is rather than just blindly, which I'm sure you do some just blind throw out salt and see what you get, but you're telling me that you take glassing from the year before or whatever and, oh, I always see deer right here or I always see a buck right here. You specifically then go, okay, I'm going to go where I've seen that buck and I'm going to go target that buck by putting the salt right where you've seen him. But also, to take it a step further, you're also putting that salt where you can sit and see that salt. Is that what I hear you saying? So you want to be able to sit where you can basically see that deer come and go, or you try to? Yeah. that's For me, that's, a, that's key. Um, my hunting partners are probably going to kill me for giving out all my secrets, all of our secrets, I should say. But, um, so, well, no, that's just... to my podcast anyway. I know, so I, wouldn't worry I know. About it. It, I'm not you know, worried about it. me and you and maybe two or three of our other friends. <laughs> you know, right. it has a very small reach, so I wouldn't worry about it. Right. So that's all part of the way we hunt. We're, uh, we like to spawn stock. Like, that's just what, what we like to do. I don't like to sit in the blind... None of my hunting partners, guiding partners, like sitting in the blind. I don't like putting people in blinds. And like I said, I'm not opposed to it. That's how you kill big stuff. I get it. I just don't like doing it. So if I can put a piece of salt out and a camera, I know where all my glassing spots are from that salt. And I will specifically look to my glassing spot, whether it's three miles away with my koas, um, or, you know, 500 yards away from just a nice glassing spot. I want to put it to where I can see it. So then I can find out when the deer's coming in, for the most part, what deer are hitting that salt, but then I don't have to go sit the salt. I can glass that entire square mile of where these deer are at, and I'll find the deer, and then we can go from there. Okay, that's all good stuff. Let me ask you a question. You're talking about in the velvet. I oh, want to yeah. know how that transitions from the salt stain in, in the same spot. Now you're moving into a rifle hunt. How much of the time do those same bucks continue over the next two or three months, you know, from, from archery season into the rifle season and through the rifle season, how much do those bucks continue to hit the salt? That's number one question. Number two question is, um, 
what the heck is number two question? Number two question <laughs> is how, how does one that wants to use this method go from doing the velvet strategy and use it for the rifle strategy? So they definitely, after they rub their antlers, they definitely uh, hit the salt less. It seems like they get a little uninterested with it. They'll still, you know, if it's in between their bedding and feeding area and water, they'll still walk by it, you know, come smell it, lick it once, and then keep walking to water. Uh, but they're not interested. They're more interested in smelling it than really uh you know licking on it and um a lot of the bigger bucks that that i've seen over the years that's when they start to uh go more nocturnal too so they kind of slow down their movement altogether, but especially during the day like when a, a velvet buck is growing his antlers um in central arizona especially from what I've seen, is they'll feed uh, every morning for longer than people would think. Uh, they'll be on their feet eating some days until like 9 o'clock in the morning, even if it's hot outside. Uh, they just, they're not bothered by the heat all that much. Uh, so in the afternoon, same thing, they'll, they'll come out kind of early and feed but then after they rub, they'll stop hitting that salt as much, and it seems like they start doing a lot more of their feeding at night, right before those rifle seasons come around. Okay. And how do you, to the second part of the question of how do you kind of use the data that you're getting, obviously you're telling me that they don't come in uh, as much, uh, but how do you still use the data from the salt and know that that buck is there to help you on your rifle hunt? Or have I already answered my own question in the fact that all that you have to do is find a buck to hunt and know that you have a home range and kind of have an idea of where that buck lives, and then it just becomes a matter of glassing that buck up staying yeah. diligent, and finding that deer. Yes. So that's just part of uh, how we set everything up is we like to glass, so we just make sure that that's always part of our strategy that if, you know, say we find a big, giant 120, 130-inch deer and we put cameras up, we can't get them on camera. This has happened before. Put cameras right where we've seen them. Um, and can't get him on camera. I don't know why. Um, he, it's not Wait, like you, he... You see a buck, you put the cameras there, you don't get him on cameras, but you continually glass him and you know that he's right there, but he's not hitting your camera. That's what you're saying? That has happened. So, um, that's why I put my cameras where I can see them most of the time and like like i said i'm just talking about coos deer specifically this is something we like to do um elk and mule deer are completely different but um yeah it's just one more way 
to know where he's living. If you can glass that area that you have your camera set up on. Okay, James, I want to take a quick second here to thank the sponsors of the podcast uh, before we go any further. I want to thank GoHunt.com, my friend Cody Nelson of 20-plus years. I've been calling him the glassing guru for a long time. He is the optics authority. He's the optics manager at GoHunt.com. If you guys are looking for any binocular, tripod, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, anything to do with glassing, anything to do with optics, and you want a good deal, give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. He's at extension 2, or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. I also want to tell you about the GoHunt Insider and tell you to go to gohunt.com forward slash Scott, and you're going to get access if you become an insider member to the best Western hunting resource tool out there. You're going to get all of the most accurate draw odds, harvest statistics. If you're applying in all these Western states, there is not a better resource than GoHunt.com Insider. You're going to get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up, just for going to GoHunt.com forward slash Scott and typing in Scott, and you're going to get that $50 uh, GoHunt Gear Shop gift card. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship of this podcast. I also want to thank Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's the gear that I wear on all my hunts. If you're looking on my Instagram page, uh, I do a lot of question and answer with Brendan Burns, the CEO of Kuyu. Uh, I've got a good relationship with Kuyu, and if you guys want to learn more about Kuyu, go to Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com. CanyonCoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, They make great coolers. I also want to thank Phonescope.com. That's the digiscoping device I use on my phone. If you go, again, on my Instagram page, all of the photos and videos there, the digiscoping photos are with Phonescope. Use the JSCOT19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And I also want to thank onxmaps.com. Use the JSCOT19 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount there. So use JSCOT19. Go to onxmaps.com. It's an incredible resource. It shows public versus private land. It shows the aerial overlay. It shows the topo overlay. It has a hybrid overlay. Uh, You can plot out all your glassing points. You can plot out all the roads, the water holes, the salt lick spots. Uh, Onyx Maps is an incredible tool, uh, James. So I don't want to give away all your secrets because your hunting buddies uh, are probably going to shoot you the next time they see you. But yeah. do you there feel you like if more people spent the amount of time that you and your buddies spend that they would become more successful. I get a lot of messages from people wanting to know how they can become more successful. What I, re- I, I read between a lot of the lines, and it's, hey, I want to be able to shoot a big buck, but I don't want to put any time in. What you're talking about is you and your buddies spending a lot of time putting out salt, putting out cameras, glassing, you know, reassessing, are, are these good areas? Let's move the camera over here. Okay, I found a big buck. Let's you know, move salt in the camera over there. Like, it takes time, does it not? Yeah. Um, 
you know, if you want to be good at anything in life, most of us, the only way you're going to get there is hard work. You got to outwork everybody else. Um, and by no means am I one of the best guides in the world or anything like that. But I know in order for me to be successful, I have to try and outwork everybody. And that goes along with anything I do that it's just, that's the way I was raised. You just have to outwork everyone else. So, um, a lot of people say stuff like that, like they want to be guides or they want to do this or do that, but, um, you got to put the time and effort into it. It's a lot of work to be successful and saying like, you got to put the time in. Um, so last, last year, that same archery, uh, deer season. So we're talking August 24th, um, we specifically didn't have any early archery clients uh, last year because that's kind of our time that we get to hunt. Um, we like to hunt those velvet coos deer. So we had, you know, we were running all these cameras. Trevor had a buck picked out. Brandon had a buck picked out. Brian had a buck picked out. Um, I also did. And, Brandon ended up shooting a 103-inch deer on opening day. Trevor ended up shooting a 109-inch deer a couple days later. Then Brian shot that 120-inch plus deer. Uh, and I, of course, was gone for that whole season doing another job. But um, <laughs> working. That's yeah. That's besides the point. But anyways, they earned that. Like, like Trevor goes out and kills big coos deer every year because he spends the off season you know studying them and glassing he's out glassing all day he'll go check cameras set cameras all those guys it's it's non-stop they're if they have any time at all they're you know doing what it takes whether it's packing salt in uh checking cameras like whatever they got to do that's how it gets done. I know that you have a bunch of coos deer guys that come on here. And I know that like Eric Forrest, same thing. That guy is in the, he kills big coos deer every year too. Same thing. He, it's because he's out there all the time. So, yeah, you get, most of the time, you get out what you put in. I think that's the, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I think that's anything with life. And I, I think it's easy for people to see pictures and go, be like, golly, Trevor kills a big buck every single year. I'm sick of that guy. Well, yeah, if you follow him around all year, you'd be sick of him too because that's all he does. Yeah. And you talk about Eric, you talk about all your hunting buddies. It's like there's a common theme here. And most, most people that are successful hunting, you know, that have a niche and, and have something that they really enjoy, I mean, they love doing it, so it's easy for them to uh, go out and do it. I don't want to say it's easy because it's never easy. It's easy for them to make time and justify doing what they do because they love it. It's never easy. Really? Um, I want to shift nothing. gears here just a little bit. We've got the uh, Arizona deer regulations and sheep regulations. Uh, the deadline's June 11th. Uh, guys listening to this podcast trying to figure out they're going to do the October hunt. Most units, um, you know, some of the central Arizona units are a little different, but, you know, the southern Arizona units are basically set up in a spore hunt structure, not including the archery hunts, but just 
you know, you've got your late October, kind of your, you know, beginning of November type hunt. Uh, you've got your late November, and then you've got your uh, late December hunt. I just wanted to kind of give you the four to uh, basically talk about, in your opinion, out of those four hunt structures, in your opinion, year after year, which one do you think you could, if you devoted the time, could shoot a consistently shoot the best buck? Okay, so this year uh, the the best rifle hunt is going to be that first one, in my opinion, uh, just because of that moon phase. The moon's going to be good this year, so it's like that last week of October, uh, there's no moon, and that plays a big part into coos deer hunting that time of year. At least it does uh, pretty consistently for us. So I I would choose that hunt, but last year it was the exact opposite. The, there was a full moon during that first October hunt, and then there was no moon in that uh, November like 13th hunt. And so... Um, I chose to have some of my clients put in for the second hunt just because it was easier to draw and there was going to be no moon. And we ended up being really successful on that hunt. And I think that moon had a lot to do with it. So this year, like I said, that first hunt, no moon. Um, the only bad thing is it might be a little bit warmer. But I think that... Um, this year that that's going to be a great hunt you get first crack at all the bucks that made it through the archery season so the yeah, I mean, you perfect. basically have the, the new moons on the 28th uh and you know the season starts on the 25th so i mean the entire hunt will be dark yeah talk a little bit about for those that are listening that maybe don't know why is hunting on a dark moon in non-rut times, so important. So, the deer will, if it's if there's a full moon that time of year, especially those deer are just going to be up on their feet all night uh, feeding. Then they're going to sleep during the day because it is going to be warm uh, at the end of October, and it's cooler at night. It's bright outside. They feel way safer at night, just like every other animal. So if there's a full moon, they're going to be feeding all night, go to bed as soon as that sun comes up, and sleep for a few hours. Then you got to try to catch them midday when they're moving beds, which is definitely possible, but it doesn't seem like many people glass for coos deer during the middle of the day, which is another uh, key to finding and killing uh, coos deer, in my opinion. Okay, let me take that a step further. You talk about glassing during the middle of the day as if, you know, if guys aren't doing it, it's a huge mistake. Let me ask you a question. Are you looking in a specific area or location or spot on the mountain during the middle of the day? If so, what is it? Where is it? What are you looking for? So, common sense and words of wisdom by everybody 
that's always hunted will tell you north side, north facing slopes because it's in the shade. And that's correct. But the reason they're on those north facing slopes is because they're in the shade. They like the shade. It's cooler. So not all deer are going to be on north facing slopes. They could still be on west facing slopes, south, east, whatever, but they're going to be in the shade. So definitely spend the majority of your time glassing those north facing slopes, but don't overlook every other slope and just look in the shade. Don't waste your time looking at open spaces. Look underneath every bush in the shade, and you'll find bedded down deer. Okay. With that being said, how much of your time is, well, you talk about glassing during the middle of the day, and you talk about deer will be behind shade. If you're looking at a hillside that has, say, a thick pocket of trees, do you kind of predict that, okay, the shade's going to change, those deer are going to move, and is that why you're picking up deer in the middle of the day, because you're, you're catching those three to five minute periods when they stand for a little bit, stretch for a little bit, and move and change where now the, you know, the sun's, they were in the shade, they laid for a couple hours, then the sun hit them, so they got up to move around, and they may do that three or four times throughout the day. Do you focus on right. that? Yeah, and most of the time when they do get up to switch beds, find some uh, new shade, a lot of times they'll go eat for a couple minutes here and there. You know, in between beds, they'll stop and feed for a couple minutes, uh, and then go find some more shade. I'm trying to think, but very rarely can I think of them just getting up for less than a minute, walking straight to another bed and laying down. They kind of, like what you said, stretch their legs, uh, grab a bite to eat, and then, you know, move around for a couple minutes and then find a bed. So if they know what they're doing. They know what bed they're going to go to a lot of times, but they still need to do that throughout the day. So they will get up um, unless they're in a big, huge pocket of pine trees that you can't see into, then maybe they're going to get up and you're not going to see them. But if you're in the desert or juniper country, chances are you're going you're gonna to catch them moving. You guys shot a really nice buck um, on the rifle hunt with one of your clients. I think it was like 105 to 110 inch type deer, really beautiful deer. Talk a little bit about that uh, story. Then I want to ask you some elk questions, and then we'll conclude. Okay. So that was a hunt that I've been setting up for a couple years with uh, some Midwest hunters, uh, a guy was referred and contacted me, said, hey, I want to come out and hunt coos deer. I'm associated with Can-Am. I want to bring a bunch of toys out. We're going to test drive these toys, these new toys, and uh, write an article for Peterson's uh, off-road magazine and shoot some coos deer. So obviously, like, all right, well, you got to get drawn first. So... He had zero bonus points. The writer lady also had zero bonus points, so I needed to pick a hunt. 
down south that I knew they were going to be able to draw, first of all, and one that I already knew the area. So I'm familiar with a few units down there. So we picked the second hunt last year because of the moon and because of the 100% draw odds. And on previous podcasts, uh, I've also said that people need to take advantage of those leftover deer tags. Basically, these were leftover deer tags that they drew because they had a 100% chance of drawing them. Um, anyways, we went down there, you know, had a great time hunting. Uh, this story also has a shed involved. Uh, one of my guides... Why does it out, always come back to a shed with you? There's always a shed I, involved with you. I know. It and I'm not even... back to a shed. I know. And I... I'm not even, like, a shed hunter. I never post pictures of sheds. I find a lot of sheds just chomping through the forest or in the desert, but I I don't know. It just, it's just, <laughs> who knows? Anyways, so one of, one of my guides, Brandon, glassed up, uh, like, seven bucks in this uh, valley that we'd killed some deer in before, and there was one big buck in there. And so we're watching them early in the morning, seeing what they were going to do, seeing where they were going to go, if they were going to bed down, if they were going to keep feeding. And they went over a rise, and like three little bucks came out to the left, three little bucks came out to the right, and the big buck disappeared. So we watched and watched and watched and never saw him. So the one of the hunters um, for the the actual writer, her name's Callie, she wanted to shoot this other buck that was in the group. So her and I took off after that deer, went out, tried to find it. It gave us a slip. We ended up sitting out there for a few hours, couldn't relocate him, started hiking back um, to our starting point, and we wanted to go check and make sure that that big buck wasn't down in the draw that he disappeared into. So we're walking back, walking back, real slow, making sure we're not making any noise. We're in some thick brush, and all of a sudden, 30 yards away, jumps up that big, giant deer that we lost earlier. Um, he was bedded under a bush, and he just took off running. Um, and, of course, we were surprised, but... Uh, we, sh- I don't know, I guess you could say we should have known better, but we had been glassing that for three hours by that point and not been able to pick him up. But he, basically that big buck just tucked. All those other deer spread out, and that big buck just tucked into a bush and held there until we walked to 30 yards of that deer, and he exploded out, took off, disappeared. And I've had big bucks do that before. A lot of times they'll just hold. Unless you walk right up to them, they'll hold, and they know you're there, but they don't want to run. They know you're going to walk right by them. So I want to inter- I want to interject something here. Okay, I he- I hear James's story. I hear him talk about the deer, and then the big buck, and then the other deer. I would reiterate that my experience has always been when you see a big deer and he disappears in your mind what you think he disappears 
the reality is he didn't disappear at all. He just laid down, and you're not, like, it, nine times out of ten, if you walk to 30 yards of the last place you saw that big buck, you will jump him up. That is my opinion. I've seen it happen. I've done it so many times where I've thought, ah, he's gone. I'll just walk down there. And you walk down there, and he jumps up, and you're like, why am I surprised? I, yeah. I know this. I have to learn this. seems like every year I have to learn the same thing. So if anybody out there is listening, if you shoot at a big buck, if you jump a big buck, if you see a lion move a big buck, the reality is a lot of times when you can't glass them up, you, you know, you had them and all of a sudden they're gone, they're not gone. They're just, they just laid down. So just please, next year, next fall, when you're cooster hunting and you're like, hey, I lost that buck go, hmm, I think I remember Jay and James talking about it. I can just tell you nine times out of ten, that deer is right there. Like, he did not go anywhere. So hopefully that'll help someone kill a buck next year. Go ahead, James. Yep, that's exactly right. That happened to me multiple times last year. And that's, you're exactly right. Anyways, so the big buck jumps up, runs away. Um, we're sure, I know which direction he, he went, watched him go. We couldn't get a shot. He was gone. So I walked like another 40 yards further. And on the ground is that buck's shed from two years prior. So awesome. pick up that, yeah, pick up that shed, show it to Callie and be like, this is where this buck lives. And he's as big as we think he is because I have that shed in my hand knowing, looking at it, that it's at least a 100-inch deer shed from two years ago so we get out of there um the next day she ends up going and killing a good buck and then we still have one more hunter um andrew the can-am guy and we end up going back trying to find that big buck and long story short he ends up shooting that deer maybe at most 150 yards from where i found that shed so that buck shed that antler two years ago. We glass him up right there. We jump him out 30 yards away from that shed, and then two days later kill him, you know, 100 yards away from that shed. So, okay, so another, another moral of the story is, and I'm stealing your thunder a little bit, I'm sure, but those big bucks, when you bump them, they will come back. Do not leave the area. Give them, maybe give them a little bit of time. Stay out of their core. Stay around the peripheral. Spread out. Triangulate. And that buck, nine times out of ten, those bucks are going to come right back into the core area, right where you spooked them. you got to be patient, and you got to hold off the trigger on other bucks, and you've got to say, I know this buck lives here. We found the shed here. And sure enough, James says, yep, he came back and they killed the deer right there. I've seen it happen so many times. I can't even, it, it's just mind-blowing how many times I've seen it. So, you know, those big deer are super habitual. You've got to be patient and you've got to stick to your plan and your strategy of, I know this buck lives right here. This is the hillside that he lives on. Let's spread out and triangulate and take our time until we find him. Yep, that's exactly what we do and what we did and how it works every time that's awesome well that's a beautiful buck um 
James, I want to conclude here. We could talk about Cooster all day long, but I want to conclude mm-hmm. here um, about elk. Um, you also like elk, maybe not as much as Cooster, but you also like elk. What do you have planned for this season, and what is your outlook? All right, so this year I think is going to be just unbelievable antler growth year um, just by the amount of precipitation and grass that's already on the ground. It, I don't see how it couldn't be after what we had last year, and I know a bunch of bucks and a bunch of bulls made it through last year, and I think it's just going to be a really good season. Um, yeah, we're busy. We're going to be in, let's see, archery. Be up in seven east. We'll be in six A for the early archery, and then um, in the late, let's see, late rifle tag. We're, we'll be back in seven east again, and uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So yeah, we spread out a little bit. Season. Yeah, um, I love hunting elk. I love especially early elk, but we seem to get it done on those late seasons as well. Last year was kind of a tough year for everybody. Uh, you know, there was bad antler growth for one. And then for two, let's see, the second day of the season last year, everyone got snowed in uh, for the most part. There's a big storm across the state and um, a lot of snow. But we actually, we ended up, shooting I think six bulls in those first four days um, and a bun- we had a bunch of first time elk hunters with us we didn't kill anything big that's for sure but we knew we weren't even trying to so we killed some good bulls though and had a bunch of fun so this year yeah we'll be back up in there um, and I'm really looking forward to it I think there's going to be some big bulls uh, in every unit this year that's awesome, buddy. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I know all of us t- Southwest uh, United States hunters looking forward to mule deer and elk and coos deer and all the stuff that grows really big on uh, big moisture years. So it's going to be exciting. Um, it's always great having you on the podcast. I want to encourage people to check out jamesdudleyguidedhunts.com. Uh, also, uh, James, what's your Instagram handle? Um, it's James underscore dudley one two okay the one two punch yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) all right um it's always great having you on the podcast um always fun strategizing and hearing about all the different uh, tactics and things that you guys use to put big animals on the ground and it's always fun following along there on your instagram uh, so you guys keep up the good work. Tell all the guys hello and um, congratulate Brian on his awesome giant buck. Uh, Dar really enjoyed getting to hunt with him in Mexico. Uh, Brian actually was one of the hunt winners uh, and uh, won, won the hunt to come down to Mexico and shot a beautiful buck down there. Uh, and uh, it's a great guy. So uh, you guys knock him dead this year. I'll talk to you after the season, and I uh, look forward to uh, seeing what you guys uh, kick out this year. Hey, Jay, one more thing. So um, I just, it's, my name is on the company, obviously, James Other Guided Hunts, but without people like 
we already talked about this whole time, my guys, Trevor, Brandon, Brian, and Josh, I can't do any of this stuff. I'm the one with on the podcast, but those are the guys that put in all the hard work and get everything done. Um, and without them, I can't do any of it. So um, I just want that awesome, to be buddy. clear. I don't want to take, you know, any steal their thunder. They're the ones getting it done, not me. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you bringing that up, and that uh, speaks for the guy that you are. And I look forward to having those guys on the podcast here one of these days. Uh, it'd be fun uh, one of these days when I get back to Arizona, too, just getting around, maybe have five or six of us around a round table and just chat it up. And um, it, it, I, I keep looking forward to doing that with you guys. So we'll have to do I that know. and uh, get some of their stories as well. So, buddy, uh, we'll just keep that. Keep hoping that it keeps raining. Keep hoping that we just have a killer monsoon and, and just have an unbelievable year. So uh, excitement level, I know, for all of us Arizona hunters, it's, it's about as good as it can get, and um, rightfully so. And it's going to be a fun year. So, all right, buddy, God bless you. Thanks for coming on. All right, thanks a lot, Jay. I'll see, talk to you later.